Chapter Twenty Three of the Submarine Boys for the Flag. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sargent Gagan. The Submarine Boys for the Flag by Victor G. Durham. Chapter Twenty Three. Foreign Trade Becomes Brisk. The cab horses were browsing quietly by the roadside. Miss Daisy looked anything but perturbed. In fact, she had passed all uneasiness of spirit on to the cab driver. That worthy had come back to his senses, but Miss Houston had compelled him to sit on the ground, his back to a tree. She stood a few yards away watching the surly fellow and holding a pistol as though it were not the first time she had held such a weapon in her hand. Oh, I'm so glad you come, Mr. Benson, cried the girl with true feminine relief. I was so worried about you, but you're not hurt badly. I hurried a horseman on to you. He reached you. Yes, thank you, nodded Lieutenant Benson. And now, Miss Houston, I must inform you that we have Millard, your Donald Graves, a prisoner and mangled. I must first find a way of getting you back into town. Then I must turn Millard over to the authorities. Why can't he go back in the same cab with me? asked Miss Houston quickly. You you could endure that? Yes, replied the girl bravely. I took you to him. I sent the assistance that enabled you to take him prisoner. Do not fear for me, Mr. Benson. By Jove, but you're a clear grit, Miss Houston, Lieutenant Jack cried admirably. Clear American, I hope, retorted the girl. Why should men be the only ones who can do or dare for the flag? Will you let me have the revolver, Miss Houston? Gladly. Thank you. Now, if you'll get inside the cab again, and you, I'll sit with the driver and watch him. Jack kept his eye on the surly fellow until Miss Houston was inside the cab. Now, fellow, you get up on the box and handle the reins from the left side, ordered the young naval lieutenant. I always drive on the right side of the box, came the sulky retort. Undoubtedly. But you're driving on the left side this afternoon, returned Benson, with a look of significance. By the way, did I mention in fact that I have an uncertain and bad temper? Now climb up into your place, and don't you attempt to start until I'm beside you and gave the word. A moment later, Jack Benson sat beside the driver, holding the revolver in his right hand. Now back to the house, spoke the young naval officer. Without a word, the driver turned his horses about and headed back. Here we are, came cheerily from Lieutenant Abercrombie, R.N. Millard was sitting up, a black scowl on his face as Jack and the others appeared. Now I've got to get this outfit back into Washington somehow, mused Jack, after noticing that Abercrombie had allowed the other thugs to crawl away to safety. I have course, dear old fellow. You understand that I'm helping hinted the British officer. Well, that's mighty good of you, murmured Jack. Then we can do it all easily. Daisy Houston had stepped from the cab. She stood regarding the scowling captive. I'm glad I know you, Donald. I'm glad I found out you in time, she said quietly, gazing hard at him. I thought you were a friend, Millard retorted bitterly. Great heavens, Daisy. If you had been on my side through thick and thin, in good report and ill, 
I could have defiled all these idiots in Washington. What an ally you would have been, but you chose to be an enemy. An enemy to my country's enemies, yes, replied the girl steadily. You hate me, Daisy. I don't know, answered the girl thoughtfully. You hate me now, Donald Graves? I wish I knew, uttered the man, but it's hard to turn love like mine into hate at a moment's notice. Daisy, the nights are coming when you'll wake up in a fright and sob as you remember how you turned me over to the officers of the country that you have done your best to betray, broke in the girl firmly. No, no, Donald, do not imagine I shall shed any tears for you, seen or unseen. Mr. Benson, I'm ready if you wish to place your your prisoner in the cab beside me. Seems like a beastly outrage to do it, muttered Jack, full of misgivings. Not at all, declared the girl steadily. I'm glad to see that this man is on his way to the bar of justice. Jack assisted Davy Houston with the utmost deference to a seat inside the vehicle. Then he turned to motion to handcuff Millard or Graves that he was to take the seat beside the woman who he hoped to make his wife. I'll ride close alongside to make sure there's no unpleasant conduct toward Miss Houston, volunteered Mr. Abercrombie. Jack Benson again climbed to the cab. You know, I have this pistol, muttered Jack, showing the driver the weapon. There's no need to ride through the town with the weapon in my hand. But if you try to cut up any tantrums, you may be sure you'll find your own wrist inside of handcuffs. I know when I ain't got no show at all, growled the sullen driver. Drive ahead, then, into Washington, straight to the police headquarters. Lieutenant Abercrombie, R.N., jogged his own mount steadily alongside, so that he could see at all times a commanding view of the interior. Millard, Donald Graves, would have opened some conversation with Daisy Houston, but the disdainful girl cut him short. As the cab rolled into the busier streets of Washington, Lieutenant Abercrombie drew a little further away from the cab in order not to attract attention though he still remained actively on guard. The prisoner's manacle hands did not show to the people passing on the sidewalks, so altogether no passenger thought to turn to look at the cab. Just as the little procession turned a street corner to drive directly to the door of police headquarters, Abercrombie waved a hand carelessly to three pedestrians on the sidewalk. Abercrombie cried Lieutenant Elwyn, and there's Benson on the box of that hack. Come right along into headquarters, whispered Abercrombie. Don't make any noise. Wondering until they were fairly surprised, Elwyn, Hale, and Epp drew up at the cab door as Jack, after only a brief nod to them, opened the door and handed out Miss Daisy Houston. Lieutenant Abercrombie, having given his horse to a boy down the street to hold, now came forward, raising his hat, to take charge of the young lady. Come along, Millard, cried Jack Benson quietly, and the prisoner got out, while the British officer stepped down the street with his fair companion to find another carriage in which he could return home. Inside, Jack marched his prisoner up to the railing in one of the rooms. The young naval officer at once produced his credentials and displayed them to the police officer in charge. Now, with your permission, sir, Jack went on, I courteously... I will use your telephone and inform the Navy Department of the prisoner who waits their action here. Five minutes later, this had been done. 
Benson turned to Lieutenant Abercrombie, saying, I must apologize for not having thought to return your revolver as soon as we entered. I would beg you to keep the weapon, dear old fellow, if it would be of any use to you, replied the British officer. And now Hal and Epp found chance to explain that they, worried by Jack's disappearance, had at least started down to headquarters to see if they could learn of any mishap to him or any other explanation for his long absence. Well, it's all over now, muttered Hal. Millard, or Graves, or whatever his name is, the fellow must be using at this moment, is safe in the cell downstairs. Well, we thought once before that we had him bottled up safely, chuckled Jack. Mr. Abercrombie, now I'm going to express my thanks to you. I should feel extremely insulted, dear old fellow, if you thought it necessary to thank me, retorted the Briton heartily. We'll be dark soon, interposed Lieutenant Elwyn. I suggest that the best thing any of us can do is to turn toward the club. I feel certain that the chef will have a famous dinner there tonight. We haven't any evening clothes, either citizen or uniform in Washington, interposed Jack Benson, who knew something of the formalities of the service during the dinner hour. Oh, come just the same, begged Elwood. Members don't expect too much of fellows who are traveling. Jack was glad of the walk because it helped him to take the stiffness out of the knee that had been struck. You let the cab driver go, did you? asked Gep as the submarine boys walked along together. Yes, nodded Jack. I had no orders concerning anyone like him. He's only some worthless character hired for the job. He didn't have any hand in the bigger job of collecting and selling harbor defense plans. You may be sure. As the party re-entered the club, they found a large audience. Nor was it many moments before a bi-mustached German officer approached the group. Oh, Herr Elwin, he asked, can you oblige me by excusing Herr Benson for a moment or two? And will you come with me, Herr Benson, to meet a friend who wishes to shake your hand? Jack slipped away with the German officer who conducted him to another room. I think you have met my friend before, explained the German and wheeled the submarine boy straight up in front of Herr Professor Radberg. You see, smiled the professor, we meet again. It's a great pleasure, surely, declared Jack, as he shook hands. The officer stepped a few paces away. And now, when, my dear young friend, are you going to give me your word that you and your comrades will enter the German torpedo service? I have somewhat better terms to you than I did when we met last. I've since been authorized to promise you that you shall enter the German service as commissioned officers, and that you shall all three be in line for promotion as merit earns it. So then, it is all settled, is it not? Herr Professor Radberg rubs his hands with self-satisfying air. Yes, Lieutenant Jack admitted it is all settled, but not the way you wish, Herr Professor Radberg. There may be soldiers of fortune who follow any flag for hire, but we're submarine boys who would not enter your German naval service if you created all three of us as high as admirals at the outset. Admirals? cried here Professor Rydberg, protesting. Oh, but that, my dear young friend, would be quite impossible. You are wasting your time with us, sir, Jack continued firmly. We may, one of these days, be asked to enter American service permanently. 
We would not enter any other country's service, no matter what the bait. Do not give the matter any further thought, please, for we won't. The German officer had been standing a few paces away, twirling his mustache and frowning. Now he came forward. Herr Benson, he broke in. I fear that you are so young that you do not fully understand the honor and dignity of being officers in the German service. Very likely we do not, Captain, Jack returned with a bow, and is absolutely certain that we shall never find out from experience. Lieutenant Jack excused himself, turning to seek his friends. As Benson entered the reading room once more, he came upon Epp, another whose face was decidedly familiar. It was Chevalier Diore. Just in time, Jack nodded up. Tell the chef for me, please, as he doesn't seem to understand my talk, that we wouldn't even give the slightest consideration to his idea that we should enter the French naval service in the submarine division. It's quite hopeless, Chevalier, laughed Jack Benson, shaking his head. The honor is quite enough to turn our heads, but we can only serve the United States. The Chevalier made a low bow, then turned away for others who were approaching. Where's Hal? asked Jack. Crickety, look at him over there, talking to that little Japanese, muttered Epp, inclining his head toward a corner. Alan and the Japanese man were talking earnestly. At any rate, the little brown man was. Hal was listening, occasionally shaking his head. Then Hastings happened to espy his chums. He turned to the Japanese to take his leave. But the little brown man followed him across the floor, still talking in low tones. Captain Nakasura had been trying to interest me in the idea that we three go over to Japan under a three-year contract to act as instructors and advisors in submarine work, Hal told his comrades. And I have high hopes that we'll see the same as I did, smiled the Japanese at the shape persistently. We shan't, Jack declared, shaking his head emphatically. Captain, you are the third representative, also the third nation, that has just approached us on this matter. We shall serve no other country than our own. But my government, urged the Japanese officer, will make you the most handsome offer. Do you remember the day when we were leaving Dunhaven and you tried to overtake us in a gasoline launch? asked Jack with a smile. Yes, very well, admitted Nakasura. Do you remember that we hoisted the signal N.D.? That meant nothing doing, Captain. Our answer is the same, and will be tomorrow and the next year. Ah, here you are, cried Lieutenant Amber Crombie, as he hurried up and Captain Nakasura vanished beyond middle distance. Benson, dear old fellow, I just want a word with you before dinner is served, continued the Briton, thrusting his arms through Jack's and drawing him away after a nod of apology to Hal and Epp. Benson? I've had something on my mind all day, something I've had instructions to broach to you. I've been waiting for the right moment. Now I must breathe just a word or two, and then let you think it over during dinner. Don't you know? See here, smiled Jack, standing back, sudden suspicion in his eyes. Don't tell me you've been instructed to see whether I'll enter the British submarine service. Just that, dear old chap, beamed Abercrombie enthusiastically. But how could you guess fact though and not only you but hastings and summers as well don't you know 
You're the fourth to spring this on us tonight, answered Jack Benson soberly. And the answer will have to be the same for all of you. The same for all of us, dear chap, demanded Abercrombie. How can that be? The answer in every case is the same, retorted Jack. If our own government doesn't want us, no other government can have us. We stand by our own flag. Ah, what is this? muttered Lieutenant Elwyn, coming unexpectedly upon the pair. Foreign governments competing for you, lads, Benson? Oh, this won't do. Which is what I've just had the honor of telling Mr. Abercrombie, smiled Jack earnestly. End of chapter 23 Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan.